and stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who would like to, to watch the show somewhere else, but don't get it through their television, they can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and watch the show through streaming video there. In the house, it's a fantastic group. It's large. It's freezing here in Utah, but it's a great group. We have Mary Ellen, Dan. Janet, Bill, Rose, Ireland, Isabella, Bob, Eileen, Kara, Millie, Margaret, Catherine, Matt, Devin, Granny, Annie, Grandpa, Al, and Jed. So uh, it's a great group, and it's great to have them here. Hey, Boise, Idaho viewers, we're coming to your neck of the woods. That's on February 4th, a Monday night. We'll be at the KCLP Open House from 7 to 9 p.m. The address is 309 and 11th Avenue South. 309 and 11th Avenue South. That's in downtown Nampa, Idaho, right next to the illustrious Taco Time. So uh, come on down, and uh, I'll be there, and other people who have shows through KCLP will be there to meet you. You can see the station. Again, that is on the Monday, the 4th of February from 7 to 9 p.m. Love to meet you face to face. I'd like to take a minute and thank everybody who supports the ministry uh, through volunteering their time, through uh, being audience uh, participants, for your prayers, for sending us articles and emails that keep us informed. And those of you who support us financially, we're grateful for everything that you do. We... Uh, um, you're really helping us to reach spiritually, to reach through to the LDS people with a life-changing message of a relationship with Jesus over religion. Speaking of that, a young lady named Becky, I'm a little behind the, the game here, but Becky in uh, Layton, Utah is holding classes every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. at the Public Library in Layton, right next to Layton High School and it's designed to help teach uh, people the difference between the LDS doctrines and biblical uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. Its uh, spots are available. If you're interested, then go to a Wednesday night, um, any Wednesday night for the next few weeks, 6.30 to 8 p.m. at the Public Library in Layton, and I wanted to make that announcement, and apologies for being a little bit late on that. Also, uh, book orders, we had kind of a faux pas through our computer system, my fault, but all the books that we've been back ordered for a little while, maybe six weeks, were sent out on Saturday, so if you haven't gotten your books, uh, they'll be coming soon. And hey, ex-Mormons, anti-Mormons, once Mormons, striving to be Mormons but don't believe it, whatever it is, we have a church every Sunday morning here in downtown Salt Lake City called Lord's Word. 
It really isn't a, a, a church per se. It's a parachurch. And what it does, it just helps you come to know the Lord through a relationship. We worship. We study the Bible. And we, um, we pray together. It lasts about an hour. And you're welcome. 9.15 to 10.15 at the Gateway Downtown Theaters. Uh, so we'd love to see you there. Listen, we had a baptism last week. And something went wrong with our video. But remember, I talked to you about it. It was freezing water, and we have to show it to you. I haven't seen it yet, so let's air that right now. The word baptizo, it comes from an industrial term that um, meant to die. Not a religious term, it was an industrial term, baptizo. And so it means to, uh, immersion is the best form of baptism. But it's not mandatory because there's other types that we read about in scripture. Um, and all it is, it's not joining a church, it's not joining Sean McCraney's Heart of the Matter fan club or joining the Adventure Church, this beautiful place. It is publicly identifying with Jesus Christ, saying, I believe, I have faith, I'm confessing uh, my faith to him publicly through this beautiful ordinance of baptism, which he so instituted when he was on this earth. Brother Jed, my, my brother, <laughs> do you accept Jesus Christ, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, he is your Lord and Savior. My true love forever. And it's my privilege in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to baptize you. publicly confess your love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I baptize you, Dean, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. a great opportunity and uh, you know you can be baptized as a believer by uh, 
by your pastor, if you haven't been, by anybody, but it's truly a, a public profession of your faith, and it's a great experience. You couldn't tell how cold it was, which is unfortunate. I wish Micah would have gotten a close-up of their faces when they came out, because it was good. That's why I was laughing, but in any case, a great experience. Hope you uh, all participate in that because of your faith and not because of to, to join a church or something like that. On a recent show, we had a caller uh, call in and ask me to uh, reveal my secret temple name. And this is a name that LDS temple goers receive and are placed under oaths and obligations to never reveal that name. And these oaths and obligations that you take are very serious. And uh, so, I uh, mean, even the threat of physical harm in the past, you would be under if you revealed these names. Um, now, a man knows his wife's secret name because he leads her through the veil in the temple and he calls her forth by using that secret name that she's been given, but a wife doesn't know what her husband's name is. And the caller said something to the effect that I was, if I was so against the LDS church, I should have no problem revealing my secret name on the air, and then he asked me what it was. Well, I've received a number of emails due to my response, and uh, some not fully understanding my reticence to uh, give the name on the air, and some believing that I was even still afraid to do it as an ex-Latter-day Saint, indicative of some secret feelings I have toward being LDS. It's time for another clarification. I have no fear, absolutely no fear, of anyone or anything in the LDS church. Okay, I'm not afraid to reveal my secret name to anyone within the confines of uh, taste and decorum. Uh, the caller request that I reveal my name on the show was a lose-lose situation for our ministry, and he knew that. Uh, if I revealed my name, it might appease some people who are curious and some Christians who want to test me to see if I have any allegiance to the LDS Church still, but um, I would have insulted at the same time a majority of the LDS audience, and those are the people that we are primarily trying to reach. Even the most jaded LDS people who are still wondering if they should leave or what's going on with their church, they have a hard time sometimes because of how these things are given to them to, to hear it, and they have a hard time, even when they've left the church, for people to do things that break that. And uh, my sharing on the air, this name would have been akin to uh, my spitting on the American flag in front of a Marine who had fought in the war. Or it would have been like me wearing a burqa for Halloween. Or as I said on the show, taking off a yarmulke off my head to a primarily a Jewish audience and burning it or ripping it up. And um, my saying that my name on the air uh, would have made me almost as rude as the caller who called and requests that I did. So uh, again, it has nothing to do with my fearing or my allegiance to Mormonism. Obviously, I have none except my love for the Mormon people, and that's what kept me from doing it. When people grow up believing wholeheartedly in an idea or a religion, they are often have a difficult time when they see that other people they have known have left it, and they conjure up reasons as to why the person may have left. In their mind, it couldn't be the institution, it couldn't be the doctrines, it couldn't be anything else. There has to be some other reason. And weekly, I receive emails from well-intentioned LDS people telling me that they are sure I was offended as a member of the church, or that I am bitter or angry 
or uh, because I wasn't put in leadership positions, or I've had, I have a bunch of diabolical sins that have corrupted me and caused me to leave the only true church. Um, lately, there's a rumor afoot that I was never really LDS. That's the thing that's being said. He was never really LDS because uh, if I had been, I never could have left it. Um, there have been claims that I never held the positions that I've claimed to hold and uh, never really been able to understand Mormonism because of my sinful nature. All of these things are simply coping mechanisms that people use to help them continue to live in the system where they have seen someone else step away from it. I was active, believing, LDS member of the church. Uh, where I doubted, I strived to believe. I did not leave because I was offended by any member or any members. I held all the positions I have claimed to hold. I was not frustrated due to lack of leadership roles offered to me. I left Mormonism for three specific reasons. First, I left it because I was a sinner, and I realized that no matter what I did as a member of the LDS Church, my heart was the same. I could appear righteous, I could do the jobs, everything else, but my heart had not changed. Has your heart changed? Can you say my heart is permanently changed that beats within my chest as a person relating to God, or are you pretending like I did? Secondly, I left Mormonism became, because I came to understand its doctrines, which are essentially anti-Christian doctrines when they're played out. And finally, and this is most important, I left Mormonism because I came to have a living relationship with God through his son, which opened my eyes and freed my soul and gave me new life. In summary, I left Mormonism, uh, and now I call it on the carpet because I discovered the real Jesus. So let's begin now with a word of prayer, and we'll go into tonight's topic. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity, for the airtime, for our viewers, our listening audience, our uh, visiting audience, um, the people who are volunteering their time, our technical staff, all those who are praying, we pray for people to stop and watch and that we can say something that will help them investigate the thing that they call the true, only true church on the face of the earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It's vitally important in the search for God to make a concerted effort to distinguish between truth and error, fables and facts, the doctrines of Jesus Christ, and the fanciful imaginations that come from men. Paul warns believers in 2 Timothy about fables. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The heathen religions have always abounded in fictions and fables. Even the Jewish teachers were renowned for the number of fables for which they introduced into their beliefs. And this caused Paul to say in Titus, don't give heed to Jewish fables and to commandments of men that turn from the truth. Speaking to the faithful Christians right before he was about to die, Peter said, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Cunningly devised fables can sprout up and take root and flourish in a body of believers very quickly, especially if they're led by a charismatic uh, person. 
Often fables are easier to embrace and accept than many biblical truths. You heard me right. Often fables are easier and more inviting than many biblical truths, which have always been considered foolishness to the learned and wise people of the world. The only effective action for controlling and eliminating fables is an effective and liberal understanding of the Word of God. Correctly and contextually understood, the Word exposes cunning fables and the commandments of men. The further away we walk from the Word, the closer we will be to embracing fables. Fables, myths, and fairy tales are often presented to entertain and tantalize the undisciplined mind. Some fables are created to help people cope with the brutalities of living in this life. When I was about eight or nine years old, I was scheduled to have my tonsils taken out. And my mom, hoping to ease the nervousness I must have had for this operation, created a fable for me. She said that they gave me a medicine that was going to cause me to snore. And I would start snoring, and I would snore and snore louder and harder and harder and harder to the point where my tonsils would become completely loose, except just by a little thread. And then the doctor goes in, and he clips that little thread and takes them out, and the operation is done. She did this because she didn't want me to go through the pain and anxiety of knowing a doctor was going to go down there with a pair of scissors or a scalpel and cut the things out of my throat. That's why she developed the fable. Maybe, maybe myth-making is okay and acceptable when it comes to helping ease children's fears. I'm not sure. I'm not a psychologist or a very good parent when it comes to that stuff. But storks and Santas and tooth fairies are something we should all outgrow. And when it comes to God and His Word, there is nothing more pathetic than grown men and women who would rather believe in a lie to comfort themselves than face the hard truths presented in the Word of God. Two biblical truths Joseph Smith found untenable and worthy of revision were the idea that human existence begins in the womb and that all life began in this, that we all begin life in this fallen world as creatures. The idea that God formed us from the dust of the earth and breathed the beginnings of life into human beings was preposterous to Joseph Smith. And he borrowed from heretical Greek philosophy, and he gave Mormons a fable called the pre-existence. Boyd K. Packer, one of the 12 apostles of the LDS Church currently, said the idea, quote, the idea that mortal birth is the beginning is preposterous. There is no way to explain life if you believe that. Hence, the comforting explanatory fable. The second biblical fact Joseph disliked was the idea that all human beings at birth are merely God's creatures, beings that are similar to the animals in the animal kingdom, except we have opposable thumbs, a spirit, and an ability to reason. In the face of this biblical teaching that we are creatures, Joseph taught that we are born children of God automatically, rightful heirs to him and his throne, if we earn it through obedience to the laws and ordinances that Joseph uh, prescribed. To support this fable, stories, paintings, and songs have been composed within the ranks of functioning Mormonism. 
There's a thing called the plan of salvation that they draw out to teach little children and investigators that we lived in this pre-existent state and we didn't have bodies and then we came down through a veil that we can't remember the state and we come to earth and get a body and then we die and it shows and it's a thing called the plan of salvation. One of the most beloved LDS hymns stands in direct opposition to biblical truth. Where the Bible song would say, I am a creature of God, sinful, dumb, and wild, and in this state I will remain until I become his child. The LDS version says, I am a child of God, and he has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. Lead me, guide me, walk beside me, help me find the way. Teach me all that I must do to live with him someday. This fable of a pre-existence is so forcefully and repetitively presented to the LDS people that when you choose to kind of walk away, the, one of the last things to let go of is the idea that you didn't live in a pre-existent state. Admittedly, when it is placed before you in a grand fairy tale-ish type way, it's sensible to the carnal mind. Who wouldn't want to believe that they existed forever as spirits, with Jesus as our elder brother, and we roamed around for the eternities with God? Who wouldn't want to embrace as truth this fictional heavenly heritage that we could have had? Histories can play a wonderful role in establishing human beings in life, giving us groundwork, giving us a, a worldview on how to view life. And this idea of a, of a pre-existence helps LDS go on with the other myths that are presented to them about what goes on in this life and after. I know a guy, and we're going to call him Mark, and he grew up hearing from his parents that he came from great French aristocracy during the French Revolution that fell to the peasants, and that they were valiant, and they were rich, and had castles, and that they were smart and educated, and, and um, one day in his 20s, he learned that he was adopted. And he said that his entire structure of who he was and what his values were and what he believed and what his makeup was, was completely lost in that moment. And after a season of rebelling against everything that he knew to be right, he came to discover Jesus and he came to discover his true father and developed a true identity by being broken by the things of the harshness of this life. Not in an idea that Heavenly Father was always his father and he had a rightful heir to him from the beginning. The fairy tale died for Mark and he was left without a history, without moorings, and without a name. But the beautiful thing was the reality brought him to the Lord. That is the danger when fables come in, is reality doesn't have an opportunity to work upon us and our hearts. When I was a teenager, an LDS man wrote a play called Saturday's Warrior. And it was a play that was based entirely on this fable. And it was dramatic and emotive and musical. And everyone who saw it walked away just, just more believing in this fact that we all were up there as families and friends. And we came down and agreed, someday find me and we'll marry. And, and all these, these, these fairy tale-ish things that go on in Mormonism. The Osmonds produced an album, I remember, called uh, The Plan, referring to the plan of salvation 
uh, by the way, that was produced on Kolob Records, just for a little side note. And The Plan, the first song on it, I believe, I remember I was just really 10 years old, In the Beginning We. Those were the first, In the Beginning We. Very different from In the Beginning God, In the Beginning We. All right. More theatrics to enhance the fable. LDS Apostle Dallin Oaks said, Our understanding of life begins with the council in heaven. There the spirit children of God were taught his eternal plan for their destiny. We have progressed as far as we could without a physical body and experience and mortality. To realize a fullness of joy, we had to prove our willingness to keep the commandments of God in a circumstance where we had no memory of what preceded our mortal birth. All of the myriads of mortals who have been born on this earth chose the Father's plan and fought for it. Many of us who made covenants with the Father concerning what we would do in mortality. Many of us also made covenants with the Father concerning what we would do in mortality. In ways that, we have, not, that have not been revealed, our actions in the spirit world influence us in mortality. In other words, what he's saying there is the choices you made as a spirit in the spirit world reflect what you are and what you do here. George Q. Cannon, one time LDS apostle, deceased, uh, said to an LDS audience, he's speaking to Mormons, we were true in keeping our first estate. The people that are here today stood loyally by God and by Jesus, and they did not flinch. If you had flinched then, you would not be here with the priesthood upon you. The evidence that you were loyal, that you were true, and that you did not waver is to be found in the fact that you have received the gospel and the everlasting priesthood. Essentially, is what he's saying. If you're Mormon, you were valiant and noble and great in the pre-existence, and everybody outside the church who's not wasn't. That's what the doctrines teach. It gives people who embrace the idea of a pre-existence this grand, almost like you were a knight or a queen in a life before coming here to be tested by the trials of the wilderness, to slay the dragon and to return and be crowned, just like any of the fable-type movies we can watch, Lord of the Rings or any of them. There are four or five main passages literally interpreted and selectively chosen by the uh, LDS in the Bible to prove the preexistence. We are running out of time, but they're important, and I'm going to cover them. Job 38, 4-7. Job, after his entire drama is unfolded, God comes and speaks to Job, and this is what he says. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hast laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? And who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now the LDS take verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons shouted for joy after God made his creation, they take that and they say, there is evidence that there was a preexistence. The Lord is asking Job, where were you when all of this happened? He wouldn't have asked Job that question if Job was there. Job would have said, well, I was there. I saw it. So I have understanding of all these things. That's not what was being said. God was saying you weren't even around. When we talk about the morning stars and we talk about the sons of God, it's talking about heavenly created beings, which God created the heavens and the earth well before he created man. Man is a created being functioning here upon this earth. The Chaldee version of these passages calls the sons of God the troops of angels. 
not the sons of God as you would think them. Ecclesiastes, the second one they use, 12.7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. You see, the LDS missionaries will say to the unsuspecting, the Bible even says the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Whoa, the investigator says, there must have been a pre-existence. And they don't look back to Genesis at the creation where Christians look to see exactly what happened there. And what happened is God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. And what did he do? He breathed. And that word is harach in the Jew. Sorry for the, uh, but that's how it's said, harach in the, Jew, in the uh, Hebrew. And it means his breath. God breathed into Adam, and he became a living soul. That breath is what comes out. The only thing that differentiates us uh, is that we have this spirit within us. Animals are bipartite. They have a soul, and they have a body. Human beings are tripartite. They have a spirit, which was breathed in by God into Adam. They have a soul, and we have a body. We have all three. Three in one. You get the parallel? That's how we're created in God's image. And so he breathed into us. Zechariah 12.1 says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundations of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. That is where it comes from, not a pre-existent state. Okay? Job says, And while all breath is in me, and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Another thing about God giving uh, the first man this breath. That spirit that was given to us, the first man, Adam, and passed down through every person who was procreated, will either be born again, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and will go back to the God who gave it, or it will go back unclean and will go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. All right? Romans 8, 6, uh, 16 through 17 uh, it says that we are the children of God, and absolutely we are because Romans 8, 16 through 17 is talking to believers, and everybody who is a believer is a child of God. And what does the Bible say about being God's children? How does this happen? By birthright or by conversion? Am I a child of God by birth, or do I become a child of God by faith? That is the question, all right? John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. He gave power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8.15 You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption where we can now cry, Abba, Father. We now, after we've been adopted because we have faith on Jesus, can look to God and call him Father. Until you have accepted Jesus by faith, you're not his child. You're a, cre you're a creature. You're a creation. And the Spirit needs to be born again, renewed, before you have that relationship. This is not LDS doctrine. They say you were born a child of God and he has sent you here. Finally, John 3, 1 tells us that we... Um, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. Therefore, the world did not know this because it knew him not. So it distinguishes right there. Those who know him can call him Father, but those who don't know him, meaning they're not children of God, cannot. 
How about the LDS favorite? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before I came, before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. He was talking to Jeremiah, uh, and uh, God says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet. This is the favorite of missionaries, knocking on the door. You had a pre-existence. Read Jeremiah 1.5. Let me read it to you with a little bit different emphasis. Same words. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet. You see, what it does with the LDS misinterpretation of this is it says, we don't understand the omniscience and the eternal nature of God. We don't understand that, of course, he knew Jeremiah before he formed him in the belly. Of course, he knew Jeremiah before, and he ordained him a prophet. Because God knows all beginning to end, otherwise he wouldn't be God. It has nothing to do with Jeremiah being in a pre-existent state. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to classify that and clarify that in the end. I'm going to go quickly. John 9, 1, 3. The disciples come up to Jesus after seeing a man who was born blind from birth. And they say, Master, who did this sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? I'm going to start off next week's show with answering that because it's a lot of material that you need to hear, but we're running out of time. And I want to just finish with the greatest crime about teaching a pre-existent of all of us. What does the word say about us, men and women, in a pre-existent state? It plainly and clearly teaches that we were created out of the dust, stardust, as my friend Ken would say, and animated by the breath of God. It clearly states that there is only one pre-existent being to ever have walked this earth, and his name was Yeshua. We call him Jesus, the Messiah. He's the only pre-existent being to ever have walked this earth. John the Baptist said of Jesus, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Speaking of Jesus relative to us. Speaking to the Jews, Jesus said, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Realizing where Jesus had come from, the apostles looked on him and said, Now we are sure that thou knowest all things, and needeth not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest from God. That was one of the accusations against him, that he was a blasphemer because he said he came from God. It was absolutely unheard of for the Jews to believe that someone could say they came from God, unless they were God. All right? By embracing the fable of a pre-existence, the LDS not only are uh, teaching something that is untrue, they're teaching that all of us share in the heavenly heritage of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus exclaimed, I am from above and you are from beneath, Joseph said, we're all from above. Jesus is our brother, and that is heretical. All right, let's go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please turn your TV sets down, and uh, please keep your questions short. First-time callers only, if we can, and we'd love LDS. Uh, the more LDS, the better. We're going to Jimmy on line two from Salt Lake. Jimmy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jimmy? Hey, Sean? Yeah, you're on the air. Uh, hey, Sean, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good. I would like to thank you for all the help you are doing for those of us who have left.
and would like to understand the difference between Christianity and Mormonism, and you're doing a great job. Thanks so much, Jimmy. I really appreciate it. I was for 20 years in this church, and uh, I was incapable of a coherent thought at the time. I think I was hypnotized, or in other words, I thought my brain was tickled. And, uh, you know, I've been all over the place, and uh, all over the world, seen millions of, hundreds of churches and uh, buildings, and I've never saw a Christian church without a cross. That's nothing that resembles anything Christian on this local temple downtown. And uh, I have a question after this. Uh, in the front of the building, there is an eye, and I am told this is the eye of Horus, who can hypnotize. And it was also on the time on the building of uh, uh, Hitler in Germany. And it's also on our dollar bill, and it's also in Masonic temples. Well, I'm just talking about those two right now. And uh, it, it could be uh, hypnotic, and some people could get sick of it. But uh, the question is, I was reading Ephesians, and he said we deal with uh, power and kingdom, and uh, I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah, principalities of darkness, but, but is, uh, high places. I was wondering, after thinking about this 20 years, Joseph Smith did not tap into those power and got connected with those things and he confused or tried to substitute those powers to what we perceive as Christ and uh, very easily could have Jimmy very easily was very much into the occult and other things with his family so it's a great call we're going to move on thank you so much bye bye. Okay, bye bye we're going to Ron and Boise Ron you're on heart of the matter oh thank you sir you're welcome Welcome. Uh, I got excommunicated from the Mormon Church, and I was kind of curious if you had any idea. They didn't say why. They sent me two letters. I hadn't been to church for four or five years, and they didn't put a reason in there. They held a court without you? Yeah. Maybe someone complained yeah. about you. Uh, I wondered, do they have a whole agency or something that goes around and looks for people that don't go and then excommunicate you? No, usually they're really reticent to excommunicate now because they're losing members by virtue of them taking their name off and just walking away. So probably, if, if I would understand it right, Ron, I could be wrong, but probably somebody reported you doing a dastardly deed and uh, they held a, a court on you and uh, you were convicted. No kidding. Yeah, go and ask them why. Say, what were the charges? Call us back and tell us. I, I will. It just flabbergasted me that there would have been charges. I mean, I'm crippled. I don't do anything wrong. Wow. Right. <laughs> hey, I appreciate it. All right, Ron. You take care. Thank you. Bye. I'm not laughing. It was crippled. It was just kind of funny. All right. Uh, let's go to Larry and Ogden. Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, sir. Hello, Sean from Eastern Oregon. Enjoy oh. your show. I'm watching you. You're wearing a blue shirt with a go a blue coat with a gold shirt on tonight. Yes. That's probably last week. Yeah, you're watching the right show. Oh, this is tonight's show. We just talked to the guy about... Uh, anyway, my question is, do the, do the Mormons believe in foot washing? You know, uh, in the early temple ceremonies, uh, they would strip down completely na naked, and they would put three men in a tub, and uh, they, would wa they would wash them all. And, uh, and then foot washings was an ordinance they used to participate in. Now, I've heard, I don't know, but I've heard that the 12 apostles and the prophet, they do foot washings in the temple when they meet. And I don't know if that's true. I've heard that. 
maybe if somebody knows this to be a fact or a fallacy or a fable, to call us and, and tell us. But I've heard that they still do it, but only with the 12 apostles. It's not done in the temple with the typical members or in the ward houses. Okay, now, okay, okay that, I, I go to the Anchorage Church of God in Caldwell. I think you may know my pastor, Jesse Garcia. Oh, yeah. He's my good friend. That's awesome. Also, I've got a good question. When you and your, your camera switches, there's a, a water windmill behind you. Yeah, maybe go round and round. Well, it's a picture. I know it, yes. I'm just giving you a bad time. <laughs> Thank you for making me look like a fool again. No. Okay. Yeah, you, God bless you. Hey, Enjoy thanks. your program. Thanks, Larry. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. I'm telling him it's a picture. Okay, he, uh, let's go to Douglas uh, on line four. Douglas from Mapleton, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I know you've been, well, you called yourself a mule and you've been called a musty clam, but I wanted to tell you and thank you for saving me from Mormonism. Wow. You have uh, been the greatest thing since sliced bread. You saved my life. I just wanted to tell you on the air that you have saved me and I really do appreciate it. Douglas, and thanks so much. I wanted to give you a shout out. Thank you so much, Douglas. Really appreciate it. Alright, God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Uh, donkey didn't save him. You know, just uh, speak the word like all of you do, and the seeds you're planting have effects, and that's how God works. God is doing it. The Holy Spirit does it, and uh, appreciate the call from Doug, and let's just keep sharing that word. Let's go to Hayden in Salt Lake City. Hayden, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, this is, uh, this is Hayden. Hey, I appreciate your show. Thanks. Bless you. Just had a quick question regarding uh, tithing, and you made a comment, I think your last year or one of the previous ones, um, you know, it, it seems rather ritualistic in, in some ways, and I think that what God impresses upon you uh, to give, you should give, and I think that I would just be interested in hearing your response associated with ritualistic tithing or tithing well, in general. I, I agree with you um, simply for the, uh, well, some people say that I was wrong on that because I said that it was part of the law and tithing because uh, Abraham paid tithing to Melchizedek well before the law was established, that tithing is a, an eternal uh, principle. But uh, the problem is, is in the New Testament, we only read references to tithing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in reference to Jesus speaking to the Jews and how they'll pay tithing of Annas and Cumin, but not, uh, but strain it in that and swallow a camel in, the, in, the, in that light. But tithing itself, the practice, the payment of 10%, that legalistic mode, is nowhere in the New Testament. And the only thing we have is 2 Corinthians 9, 7 or 7, 9 that says to be a cheerful giver. And the word translated into the Greek is hilarious giver. So if I'm a cheerful giver by giving a dime of my $100 income, or I'm a cheerful giver by giving $99 of my $100 income, it's the same. And, and that's the spirit of it. What bothers me about tithing is that the pastors today, many, they will use that word, pay your tithes, and it's an Old Testament reference, and they'll go back and they'll use that word all the time when they'll discount all the other words because they were so legalistic. The Christian churches today like to avoid legalisms, except when it comes to tithing. And so I just find that annoying. I, don't, I think we should just, if we're going to be free in Christ and have liberty in Christ, there should be no compulsion upon people to pay. And you know what? Frankly, since I'm on this soapbox, let me irritate the pastors more. I don't think they should pass a plate. I think that it should be a place where you, if you want to pay, you can go up and you put it in, the, in, the, in where it goes. 
to pass the plate puts an automatic, I've been there. I mean, what are you supposed to do? It's a tremendous thing. It's a burden. It is not part of being a Christian. So I just don't believe in that. I hope I didn't go on too long with that, Hayden. No, I just think that, you know, it, it feels as though it's, it's set up to be a guilt thing when it's supposed to be something on your heart that is set to glorify God. Amen. <clears throat> so and, and once I, it becomes a guilt thing, it automatically transitions right out of glorifying God and into all kinds of other ulterior motives. Yeah, you're supposed to do it in hiding. You're not supposed to do it before everybody. Amen to that, too. Left hand, right hand deal. All of those things come into being a Christian. Yeah. Okay, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for the call, Hayden. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, we have Ross. Ross from Idaho. You're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really good. Excellent. Uh, I think you're doing a bang-up job. Thanks, bang Ross. Job. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, I have a little thing I share with the missionaries that come to my door. Okay. Because uh, we can all agree on who the Father and the Son are. Yes. Uh, you were talking earlier about the Trinity. I have a little definition of the ghost I'd like to give you. Okay. The ghost? Okay. And it, it, and it goes like this. That which passes between thee and me, in sight of he, will be. Wow. Oh. That's, that's a great one. We'll add it to our list of great uh, poems and, and uh, quips here on the show. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Ross. And keep up the good work. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. We had a number. We have calls waiting, uh, and keep trying to call. Uh, we have a number of uh, emails we received. One says, you asked for comments on how watching Heart of the Matter has changed life. Well, I would watch the show while my wife was away, she being a Mormon girl from birth. Then she started watching the show and was more interested than I ever thought she would be. I thought... How could the church be so closed-minded and cold to inactive and non-members? My thought was Jesus loved all. Why would one true church not love all? Long story short, my wife and I became born again today. Sunday, December Sunday the 13th, 2008. Great ministry you have you great ministry you have. I still love my Mormon friends. I hope they come to the Lord someday. I tell them my story and about the show. God bless. That is uh, from Arthur. Uh, and we have uh, a dozen or so of those that have come in, and they're beautiful. I'd share them all, but uh, lack of time. Uh, let me go to Kay wrote, uh, I don't want to be on the show. We have learned so much from watching it. Uh, we both served missions and finding out these things we really didn't know. And um, we are struggling with what to do with our f four children, 11 through 5. How do we make the break? How do we tell our children? Well, let me suggest this to you, uh, Kay, and um, I also have three daughters who are raised in the church and a wife. Uh, you have the benefit of having your husband there, and what I would do is slowly and just continue to start bringing in more biblical truth, share uh, uh, messages of Jesus through the Bible. You are a return missionary, so you know how to teach your children well. And then don't uh, yank them from the Mormon church. You have them continue to do what they're doing there. But then maybe say, hey, let's Sunday, let's go try out this church. 
and go to one that teaches the Bible, that has a good youth program, that has good things, and go to that one, and then sit down and say, so what did you guys think of the difference between when you go to the LDS church and when you go to this church? And after a while, I, they always say, I love that other church. It's so fun, and we learn so much, and we talk about Jesus, and the singing is great, and wow, we just really like it. And what do you think about going back to Well, it's kind of boring, and, and they, they don't let us have too much fun. And, 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 and it's not that going to church should be all fun, but for kids it should be. And so try that approach. Don't yank them, but let them kind of start making the decision as the uh, Spirit starts working on them. We have three calls. Johnny and Orem. Johnny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, what's going on? Listen, I just wanted to share something with you. Uh, I was at a church in Provo last Sunday, and I met a couple of guys, and uh, I asked them, I said, uh, how long have you guys been going to this church? And they said, well... Sean was here last January, and um, we've actually been attending this church ever since. So I thought, wow, you know, um, you kind of led a couple of guys to a local church in Provo, and I thought you just might want to know that when you're out there and you're speaking at different churches, you're actually lighting something in someone, and it's actually planting seeds, and they've been attending ever since. Oh, that is, that is so uh, good to hear, Johnny. I really appreciate that call. And we, oh, we, we come free. We don't try to steal your sheep. We would love to come and talk to your congregates about Mormonism and ways to reach the LDS. So this is a perfect talk, call and a perfect segue to tell the pastors and for you viewers to go to your pastors and reverends and priests and, and whatever they call themselves and, and say, hey, let's talk about, uh, let's bring Sean in and let's talk about that. And I would love to do it. So that's a great uh, thing to say, John. I really appreciate it. All right, you take care. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Brant in Clearfield. Brant, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey. Um, hey, I love the show. I've been watching since February of last year. Awesome. I was surfing. I just caught it, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Wow. Hey there. Yeah, I am. I've got a question. It's a little off the topic. Um, I was browsing the LDS Apologist website fair every now and again. I like to see what the spin doctors have to, you know, what they come up with. Yeah. Um, I saw something really interesting, and I was wondering if you had any uh, thoughts on this or any uh, explanation or have even heard about it. Okay. There's a page that was answers to 50 criticisms of Mormonism, and uh, question number 21 states, does the LDS Church still regard the Book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price as Holy Scripture, even after several prominent Egyptologists proved it was an ancient funeral scroll. The LDS Church announced that, and their answer is, the LDS Church announced that fragments of the papyrus were from the Book of Breedings within two months of their acquisition. The big print in the Church Magazine published as soon as those scrolls were recovered can be seen here. Critics often don't tell people that we are missing at least 85% of the scrolls that Joseph Smith had. You don't have papyrus with the Book of Abraham on it, except assembly number one, and have never claimed to. Yeah. Have you? I've never even heard of that. Have you? I've heard that uh, claim, but the problem is, is Joseph Smith gave us a translation of facsimile one and two, and we have those facsimiles, and those appear completely fraudulent. So whether we have all the rest of the scrolls or not, Joseph Smith said he used facsimile, and this is what the facsimile meant. And we have the facsimile, and what he said it meant is nothing of the sort. So I think that uh, it's more spin. 
And man, if you want spin, you want to dry your clothes, go on spin cycle. Go to farms or fairs, because that's what they do. Oh, I totally get you there, man. There's yeah. a, like another question here, just another example, is about, uh, about Brigham Young's Adam God doctrine. Yeah. And their, the gist of it, their explanation was pretty much, well, we don't know what Brigham Young really meant by that, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I just I read through a lot of their stuff, and it's just like, wow. It's just amazing. It's, it's amazing how they just twist things around, add things, suppress things. Yeah, think about the people living under Brigham Young as the prophet then. He's throwing down Adam-God doctrine, and you know that they are embracing it just as if Gordon B. Hinckley taught it today. They are loved, they're believing it, they're trusting it, and they die with that. And now LDS today are saying, well, it was a Adam-God theory. It was a theory. It wasn't ever a doctrine. It wasn't I know. It's unfair. Well, Don't trust them. They're going to change the rules on you. I mean, you gotta. There, there have to be. I mean, it's, it's clear as day what he said. Come on, give me a break. Clear as day. But it, it's an insult to their intelligence. It is. Anybody's intelligence. It's an absolute insult. Yeah. And it's shameless. It is. Brent, love the call. We've got to move on, brother. All right, thanks, Well. Thanks, bye. We're going to Michael in Salt Lake City, line two. Michael, you're in Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi, Sean. Hi. Mike from Boston. You might remember me. I spoke to you about six months ago. Anyway, listen, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, the problem with the, you know, the pre-existence and all of these different um, um, teachings that uh, the people of the LDS Church have embraced is, um, you know, the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, that God doesn't want the Christians to be ashamed, not knowing how to, uh, uh, not knowing how to uh, express their, their faith to others, and um, what happens is, is when people come and tell you this is what um, our church teaches, if you haven't studied the Bible yourself, then you're going to just uh, receive whatever these people say as truth. You Absolutely. Know, the Bible talks about these women uh, that get taken in the last days, that these silly women, captive, uh, heavy laden with sins, uh, get taken captive by these teachers that go around and they're loaded with sin, and these men come and tell them all this stuff, and then they get uh, uh, taken into these different cults and stuff like that. But it's the same thing over and over again. Jesus said that uh, Satan would come in the last days performing signs and wonders, that even if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Absolutely. So there's coming an incredible wave of deception that's coming on this whole earth, and there's only a small percentage of people that are going to be able to discern between the error and the truth, the lie, and the uh, and the truth, and it's the people who have um, uh, studied to show themselves approved. David said, "Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, uh, but he meditates on the law day and night." And if we don't take the time to study what we believe in, if we don't take the time to find out what Christianity teaches, then when somebody tells us we were in the pre-existence and we were great men, we lived up there and we came down here, we're aliens, whatever they tell us, you know, if you're we'll not, buy it, you're not going to be able yeah. to uh, uh, to ward off the deception. Hey, great call, full of information. You're a passionate man for the word. I love it. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Okay, bye bye. Uh, we had a caller from Idaho. Am I missing it? Uh, we're going to Mac. Mac uh, from Taylorsville. Mac, you're on Heart of the Matter. John, how's it going? Good, Mac. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, did you get my uh, note down at Denny's last week? Uh, note. Uh, what did it say, Mac? 
said, I think you tried to call me after the show last week. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to finish the conversation. Oh, are you uh, are you the guy who calls and, and Mac and hangs up and calls me names? I've, I've been known to do that a time or two. Well, are, are you coming out of the closet, Mac? Are you actually coming and you're going to stay on air and talk to me for a second? I want you to finish the conversation. Why did you call me after the show? I called you on the show because after the show because you called our station. You presented yourself as somebody with a viable question, and you lied to us, Mac. Oh, did I lie to you, Sean? Like you're lying to every viewer that's watching you right now. Mac, Mac, are you LDS? I hate the church. And you, so I'm assuming you hate God too. I don't hate God, Sean. Well, what, what's your deal, Mac? What's the problem? You have no right. Don't have a woman in your life, Mac. Question. You have my... a problem with drinking, my brother? Have to call a show and disrupt it with some fake name and some arbitrary comments about musty clams? Are we going to go back and forth on this, Mac? Why don't you... How you have my number. On I do have your number. So you I have your number. You I will call you every uh, time I want. Clam. There we go. <laughs> His name is Mac, I guess. All right. What a way to go out. We're supposed to be following the spirit. All this thing. I go into the flesh mode. I haven't done the flesh too much in a while, but that one couldn't help it. All right, listen. A question from Gay... She wants to know what must I do to have my name removed from the LDS roles and uh, simple, www.utlm.org. Very simple, Gay. Go to that website and right there you can find out. They have a form. They have a letter. They'll tell you exactly what to do. And uh, just look up uh, under their index and it will tell you how to get your names off the rolls. And it's very easy. People do it all the time. Recommend that. Uh, Matthew says he saw a bumper sticker uh, that is, um, states, Mormons are Christian too. And uh, he said it was interesting because Mormon was capitalized, but Christian was not. <laughs> so uh, they are pushing, man. They are pushing everywhere. Mormons are Christian too. The interesting thing about that is they say Christian too, as if Mormons are admitting there are other Christians. And uh, they have never admitted that. They have always believed they are the only Christians. And so that's an interesting uh, thing. Big guy in... Oh, no, don't want that one. All right. How much time? Oh, we're closing in. Listen, really quickly, a friend who helps with the show, she sent an email to somebody, uh, another a colleague, and said, I've been helping with the show, Heart of the Matter. And the colleague wrote back, sounds like all is going well. However, um, oh, wait. Oh, no, 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 I missed it. Uh, uh, well, long story short is this person said, oh, yeah, uh, they need to put me on the show so I can straighten out Sean McCraney um, and his anti-Mormon friends. Sean would never let me on the show. I know too much about his past. So this is a tactic. You attack the man at hominem attacks. When you can't attack the message, you attack the man. Long story short, uh, we went back and forth, and I said, I invite you on the show. 
You come on, you'll be the only non-official LDS representative we'll have on the show, and you can bring up everything you want. I'll give you a free mic to attack my entire past. And, and then I sent this to the person. I said, you give this to them. And I said, but I'm going to tell you what they're going to do. They're going to backpad, and they're going to tread back, and they're going to say, oh, I didn't mean that. And that's exactly what they did. They attack the messenger, and they will do everything they can to bring the messenger down. But when you confront them and give them opportunity, they backtread. They say, well, and the guy just said, well, I really didn't know him personally. I'm talking about his past as a Mormon, his Mormon doctrine past. And so um, this stuff happens all the time. You guys stay strong, share the message of Jesus, and don't let the fakes like Mac get under your skin. God bless you. See you next week on Higher the Matter. Break my rusty cage.